Welcome to the Rock of Ages Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Israel Soto. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit rockofagesaog.org. Luke chapter 19, verse 28. Happy Palm Sunday to everybody. Thank you for being here this morning. To our visitors, we thank you so much for sharing your Sunday morning worship time with us here at Rock of Ages. For those of you at home on our social platforms, thank you for joining us in the comfort of your home, work, driving, wherever you may be at. Thank you for joining with us this morning. At uh, your convenience, we pray you would come to visit with us and spend time with us here in the house of the Lord. Luke 19 and 28. When he had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass when he came near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mountain called Olivet, that he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village opposite you, where as you enter you will find a cold tide on which no one has ever sat, and loose him and bring him here. If anyone asks you why you are loosing it, Thus you shall say to him, because the Lord has need of it. And those who were sent went on their way and found it just as he had said to them. But as they were loosening the colt, the owners of it said to them, Why are you loosening the colt? They said, The Lord has need of him. Then he brought him to Jesus, and they threw on their clothes, their clothes on the colt, and they set Jesus on him. And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. Then as he was now drawing near the descent of Mount Olives, the whole multitude of disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for the almighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. I want to give you a simple devotional this morning and encourage you that if you don't know Jesus, you need to know Jesus. In the Bible, we are told that as we are introduced to Christ in the book of Matthew and the Gospels, we see him come to us and to prove his deity, his superiority over that which is natural. He comes to us, the Bible says, through a virgin. And as we know, he had no earthly father, but Joseph was given to him to nurture him here on earth. We know the story. So he comes into the city at the time of birth, and he comes revealing without people truly understanding that truly he is the God of the universe. As they begin to ask questions and they begin to interrogate even Joseph, you know the story of Joseph, how he felt embarrassed because now Mary was with child and they had no explanation for it because they had not laid together. But they missed it. The congregation around him missed it. They they missed the fact that 
The Lord wanted to show them that he was beyond that which is mortal, that which is, that binds us as human beings upon the face of this earth. He comes into the holy city as we read his beginning stories. And he reveals to us his character, which is of humility. He comes in not riding on a beautiful white royal majestic stallion as emperors and kings did in those days and even now. But he came riding upon a beast of burden. Revealing his heart to them in humility. But people missed it. Not knowing that he had just left the throne of God. The, the highest of the highest above him and beside him there is no other. He left that which was just truly royal. To come to reveal his heart. In his beginnings, in the entrance of Jerusalem, he comes and he also reveals humanity's position and character. We are told they rejected him. Humanity rejected who he was. There was no place for him in the inn. Immediately after following, the rumors begin to take and spread throughout the land that he was the son of God. That somehow even the celestial beings were verifying this truth as we see the wise men who were led to him by the star of David. That they wanted to kill him. Revealing how evil the hearts of men were when he came into the city. And they missed it. They blamed not themselves. They saw nothing that was condemning about themselves. They thought they were right in trying to kill this newborn babe. And now we have here this morning another entrance. Again, Jesus is making his way into the holy city. But this time now, it's under a different scenario. But we are getting ready to see 2,000 plus years ago as he rode into the city are the closing scenes of the greatest love story ever told. As we look at Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry, as we also know it, we are blessed to see the closing chapters of the greatest story and the greatest display of total surrender ever seen by a human's eyes. No writer, no poet, no screenwriter in Hollywood could ever pin down such a love story, a, a lost bride and a relentless groom who would not give up the finding of her even at the expense of his life. Jesus made his way into the city 
as he did when he was a babe. Because he was commissioned to finish a work he had started 33 years before. You see, when he came, humanity had lost its way. Humanity lost its way home since the garden. Humanity chose better the fields of sin than the fields of Canaan. Humanity chose rather the paths of unrighteousness than the path to holiness. Humanity had chosen better the bitter wells of perdition and sin than the fountains of joy found in the Holy Spirit. For 4,000 years, man wandered blind and miserable without hope and without God. Because of the poorest choices we made since the garden. We chose better the dark corridors of perdition than the kingdom of God. But the beautiful thing about this whole story that in the midst of all of that, in the midst of the condition of man, Still, there was loving eyes that were looking upon us. There was a heart that was beating for this lost humanity. There was a determined lover of the souls of men that refused to stop reaching out. He refused to stop reaching out for us, the lost humanity, even at the expense of surrendering everything he was because of the measure of his love. It was the Lord who looked upon this forbidden world that he took it upon himself to find an unmatchable token that would pay the charges placed upon the hearts of men. Nothing would satisfy the hunger of hell. Nothing would satisfy the ransom upon the souls of men except one. And his name is Jesus. And this Jesus I speak to you of this morning, the very Son of God was the one that would be chosen for this mission. 2,000 years ago on this Sunday were the closing chapters of the life of one who came with understanding, mind you. He blindly did not come. He knew exactly every step he was supposed to take. And on this day, even though he heard the cheers of people, though he saw them lay clothes upon that donkey's back, even though they saw him take palm trees and lay them before him like men in their pride do today, the royal carpet in Hollywood, for such an unrighteous reason, 
people did that to him, giving him homage, still Jesus knew that everyone around him, even those shouting, it was a temporary shout. Because for the next six days of his life, the wrath of sin, the wrath and the darkness in the hearts of man would be completely flooding him in every way. But he did not stop. Nothing could hold him back. We call this week, ladies and gentlemen, the week of passion. And we've understand, and I've preached about this for the past 30 years that I've been with you, and how important it is for us to understand his passion for us. To know that every step he took toward Calvary was propelled and fueled by his passion for you and for me. In the beginning, when he came as a babe, the world rejected him. And soon, six days after this Palm Sunday in his life, the world would reject him again. This morning, the invitation of this short devotion I want to give you is simply an invitation to receive your king. We need to receive him. If no one else will or would, we must. I said we must. We must receive Jesus. The Bible says that this is the acceptable year of the Lord. The Bible tells us that there is no name under heaven given unto man by which men must, must be saved. And so the call of heaven this morning for every one of us on this beautiful Sunday morning is that we turn from the option position that we take. It's an option. Well, you receive him if, if you want. No, we must. There is a demand that shouts down from heaven this morning. You must be born again. You must be a believer. You must receive Jesus. You must receive your king. It's a sad thing to see how little things have changed in today's society since the days that Jesus walked upon the face of this earth. We live in a world much like the world he came to. People refusing to accept the purpose of Christ's coming, refuse his love, his invitation. And even consider his passion. Just the other day I was looking at this particular, not necessarily document, not, uh, documentary, 
But it was just a social survey that Christians put together, and they went to the most prestigious universities here in our country. And it was a very simple survey. It was a simple question that was posed to students all over the campus. And the question was simply this. There was an answer to be given. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. And amongst the most educated people on the face of this earth, the answer was quick. No. Jesus is God? No. Who is he? I can give you no answer. Even the most qualified or people that we have learned to follow after those anchormen that give us all the news and those that agree with us politically or not, even they give the same answer. Jesus is God? No. So nothing has changed. Sometimes we say our world is worse off than when it was with Jesus. No, it isn't. It's just as lost today as it was then. Jesus comes to town every day. Jesus went to town, went to that university that day when they were posed with that question. Who do I identify coming down the roadway into the holy city? Jesus? No. We've made Jesus an option. But Jesus is a mandate. Our children must be saved. Dad and mom, our children must be saved. Our husbands and wives must be saved. We must be saved. Lest we become no different than those who stood by the roadway on that day. Why should you receive him as king today? Simple answers. This is not very divine. I'm sure that these are elementary answers for many of you. But they're so elementary, they're ignored. Why must we receive this king today? Because he is God. Do you need a better answer? Just talking to, to Duke the other day, he remembered an example, an illustration I gave the church years ago. I used it as I was preaching and it happened, it was fresh in mind, this is years ago, but it was fresh in my mind because I had just seen him on television, but there was a pastor who's now with the Lord by the name of Evie Hill. Anybody ever remember that name or know that name? Evie Hill was a very well-renowned Baptist pastor. And years ago, some of you may remember, if you were here that long, I stood behind, I don't know if this pulpit or one of the buildings where we were ever at, I, 
I, I said, I heard the most theologically correct uh, sermon. I heard the most spiritual anointed sermon ever. I, I heard the most inspirational, motivating sermon any pastor would have ever. I could only pray I could preach a sermon like his. And that kind of wet the lips of the church saying, well, share a little bit of the sermon, Pastor, if it's so good. And Pastor comes up that Sunday morning, and the title of his sermon was, Why I Want to Go to Heaven. Why I Want to Go to Heaven. And he stood up there and he said, Why? Do I want to go to heaven? And he wrapped up his sermon with the next thing he said, because I don't want to go to hell. Why do I want to go to heaven? Because I don't want to go to hell. He says, there's nothing for me in hell. There's no happiness in hell. There is no peace in hell. There are no friends in hell. There is no parties in hell. There is no sweet cake in hell. There is no some, anyone to share love in hell. It has nothing for me. Why do I want to go to heaven? Because I don't want to go to hell. The principle is the same when you ask, why should we accept the king? Why should receive, we, should, we should receive the king? Because he is God. That wraps it up. No other discussion, nothing else to say. He is God, period. There are great benefits in this God. Everything is good is found in this God. Everything we desire is found in this God. The people who worship the Lord on that Sunday morning on the streets of Jerusalem who cried out in the name of Jesus knew that it wasn't some religious guru It wasn't the newest circus in town that was coming in. It wasn't the next celebrity preacher coming in to pick up funds and build some kind of material palace for himself. He wasn't out to buy some expensive house, airplane, or house, or whatever treasure. They knew he was God. And when people fail to understand or fail and reject the idea of receiving him, it's because they don't think or understand he is God. These people knew that that Sunday morning, that triumphal entry was triumphant because God had stepped in to the city. And when God steps into the city, good things happen. You may remember the times of Joseph in Genesis 50 and 24 and on. 
when the times of famine came and the brothers were worried and he spoke a word of comfort to them. He said, I am about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land of promise. When God comes in, when you recognize God, when you recognize, ladies and gentlemen, that God is moving in the house, nothing should hold you back from receiving your king. This is why at times, ladies and gentlemen, I will come up here prepared, loaded, ready to go, both pistols on the hip, ready to preach to you. But all of a sudden, the king of glory marches in the house. And at that moment, I've got nothing to say except to worship him. Because when God shows up, everything is complete. Everything is complete. Why should you receive the king? If anybody ever asked you that deep theological question, so why should I receive him? <laughs> you don't have to take him to school. Just help him to realize why. Because he is God. Secondly, because he is the savior of man. Not necessarily alone the helper of men, but he is the savior of men. That transcends your need for money. That transcends your need for a house, a car, or this, or the ad, or anything material. He is the savior of the souls of men. Things that money cannot purchase or deliver. Things that material wealth cannot change in your life. God can change. God can save. John 3.16, everyone knows that. That he loved us so. The closing part of this verse said that none of us should perish but have everlasting life if you will believe and receive this king of glory. Why should we receive the king of glory? Because he is the only one that can save us. 1 Timothy 1 and 15 says, This is the faithful saying worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Matthew 9 and 13 says, But go and learn what this means. Some people don't know what that means. Some people think that it's, it's, it's just a skip and a hop away to go to heaven. We don't need anything. Why should I ask for forgiveness? I'm good all the time. But the Bible says we must learn what this means. There is a place that's reserved only for God and the only things that God can do alone, and that is to save men and allow him the entrance to his kingdom. It goes on to say in the same verse 9 and 13 of the book of Matthew, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I've said this a time or two over the years from this pulpit. You will notice that everything on television has to do with how you look outwardly. 
Yes? Billions of dollars are spent on makeup. And all the men said, people have made their empires selling makeup. Why? Because it'll make you look better on the outside. Have you noticed that next to gasoline stations are workout places? More than restaurants, there are workout places. There's Crunch, Cornerstone. You can tell I know them all. I don't go at all. But do you notice? You know what that's for? It's for people who want to look better. And I get the health part. I get the, the health part. That's all good. But you'll find out that when you walk in there and you've got spandex rolling and everything. It's all to look better. And that's okay. That turns you on. I still believe that some of the guys have to start wearing shirts their size. And girls too. But it's all the outside. Do you notice that there are no commercials that said what will make your heart better? You notice that there are no commercials. There's no pills that they offer. No workout station where they'll say come and you can get your sins forgiven. And you can get your, on your way to a good heaven. Because men cannot touch the inside. Men cannot change the heart of an alcoholic. I don't care how many AA meetings you go to. Men cannot change the thirst for a cocaine addict. I don't care how they tie you up in a straitjacket. Men cannot bridle the mind and the evil thoughts of men. All they can do is advise you, think on the positive things. There are things that God reserved for himself to do. And that is to save the souls of men. And there's great confusion and sadness. This is why we live in such a lost world. Because everyone is walking around like a white, beautiful, whitewashed tomb. This is why we love to see movies like The Living Dead. Because that's what this world is full of. Walking corpse. That's a nice looking dead body. Boy, that's beautiful hair on that dead woman. Man, those are real nice muscles on that dead guy. Wow, I'm telling you, that couple, they're super. Their bodies are so stretched and tight. I wonder how much they work out. Wow, they're awesome for dead people. Because that's what God looks at. Your heart. When they saw him come into Jerusalem that day. There were those thinking, well, I know he'll bless me and we'll be able to go to Macy's. We'll go. But Jesus didn't come to satisfy your outwardness. Though all of that's included in blessings. But that's not primary when it comes to his efforts in your life.
He's come to save sinners. He's come to take you to a place of holiness. He's come to change and transform your heart. Whatever it is you are wrestling with, God can change it. Why? Because he is the only one who can. And finally this morning, we're going to take communion. Why should we receive this king? Because of his willingness to die and to give everything up for you. His unquenchable, insatiable love for us. You know, the Bible says in Philippians 2 and 7, Jesus made himself of no reputation. He stripped away every ounce of royalty. You know, the word of Isaiah tells us that there was nothing appealing about him. That he was of no desire to the flesh, to the eyes. You, you look at him and, and, and we see pictures of Jesus and we make him a really handsome, nice, blonde-haired individual. But I'm wondering if the Bible describes him as no appeal to the human eye. I'm wondering if Jesus had an ugly problem. And I'm not being facetious or being disrespectful. I'm telling you what the word of God says. Jesus did not care what he looked like on the outside in that sense, any prideful way. But he had everything. And the Bible says he stripped himself of everything that was appealing to his outward person that people might want him for. And he came and left that beautiful throne where he had everything and today has everything simply because of love. The young rich ruler could not leave the things he had for his love for Christ. Today there are people with great finances in this world that would never even look to Christ because their wealth is too much to surrender anything for Christ. It might cost them everything. But yet the Bible says that he came and he gave his life in spite of everything he would lose at that moment. We'll never meet anyone You'll never find anybody else who will surrender what he has as Christ did for you. I'm thankful for that this morning. Jesus was fully aware of his purpose in life. He left his throne, the Bible says, for you and me. People may have not realized, and maybe by great margin, that Sunday morning as well as when he was born in Bethlehem, the sacrifice that Jesus made just to come into the city. They may have completely ignored the fact that he was royalty. Ladies and gentlemen, when you feel Jesus in this house, know that he has a billion other places to go 
that they might rejoice in his splendor. But he chooses to humble himself to come to you. And to come into a house such as this. In our torn up bodies and our frail shortcomings. Sometimes unable to please him fully. Still, he says, I want to spend time with you. This is the picture of true love. And when you partake of this meal this morning, I want you to ask yourself, have you received your king for who he is? Or is it going to be for him like it was when he was born? There was no room in the end. There was no room in the heart. Or maybe will it be like in the hearts of many who surrounded him in the streets of Jerusalem that day? They were there for different reasons. You know, I can only imagine how sad and how crushing all of us have had sad and crushing feelings in our lives. Amen? Only me? Anybody know what it's like to be sad and crushed in your heart, in your spirit? Right? How many would willingly go back to that moment? It hurts too much, right? But can you imagine just for a moment when he heard the praises unto his name today and the next day they said crucify him he faltered not he stopped not he hesitated not in the bible we are told many times he was tried to be stopped lord don't go into jerusalem don't do that they're waiting for you They saw him sweat. They saw him cry. They saw him weep. They saw him pray. And he hesitated not. And I think that very simply answered, if you ask him the question, Lord, why? Why all of this? I don't think Jesus would get theological at all. Well, let's go back to the times of Abraham. Let's go back to the times of the garden. Let's go ahead and talk about, no. I don't think Jesus would have, will become or speak to us in a theological way. Lord, why? Why all of this? I think and I know that Jesus would simply say, because I love you. Church, you are the most loved people on the planet. Yes, you are. No greater love has he. You are the most loved young people. You are the most loved dad and mom. Kids, you are the most loved people on this planet. If you need proof, stand to your feet this morning. Ushers, would you come? If you need proof, you're going to be holding it in your hand in just a moment. If you would, please go ahead.
If you need proof. You're going to be holding that proof in your hand in just a few minutes. If this doesn't encourage you to receive your king, I don't know what else will, because he can offer you nothing else. He already gave everything up for you for me. I saw an interview of a doctor, a very popular and a very well-renowned surgeon who understands anatomy and physiology to the greatest extent, obviously very studied man very prepared man they asked him about the crucifixion of Christ and when he was talking it, it, it made tears well up in my eye because I know this is nothing as an example to you but I'm going to share it with you anyway but he began to speak about the nerves that we have here in our wrists what they're connected to and how painful they are And he spoke on how they drove the nails through his wrist. Not through the palm of his hand, but through his wrist. Causing what he knows is the most excruciating pain known to anyone. That it forces you to straighten your legs out. It hurts so much. Have you ever heard that you straighten your legs out? It's an automatic response when you hit your finger. You straighten your legs. Oh, you straighten your legs out. Your, your nerves and your muscles react. He said when they nailed into the cross, the only thing that we can expect them to do as we know the body is to stretch with the pain. And he had nails in his, in his ankles. So there you go again. And this doctor began to weep as he began to explain. Well, I was sitting there, ladies and gentlemen, and please just understand what I'm trying to tell you. When I was at the hospital in my time of all this stuff happening, uh, we have nurses here, I'm sure. But has anybody ever had blood gases done in your body? If no, everybody say, thank you, Jesus. I have. And blood gases are taken from the arteries in your wrist. It has to be directly from an artery. It can't be from a vein like they do an IV on your hand. No, it has to be from your artery. And you have arteries here in the middle of your wrist but they're beyond the little bones that you feel here, beyond the tendons that make that move your fingers. Beyond, they have to go deep inside until they hit that artery, and then they draw fresh blood coming out from the ventricles of your heart, the valves of your heart. And there, when it's pure blood, they can take it and check the blood gases for whatever reason they do. Well, I had that done to me. 
And I had taken my cousin. He drove me up there. And I had never had this done. But they said, we need blood gases because I was getting ready to go for my transplant. And, and I sat there and they, the nurse came in and I said, so I'm ready. I mean, I had been stuck in my arms so much. I was black and blue. I don't care where they poke me anymore. But this time they turned my hand around and they put tapes on my hand. And, and I looked at him and said, it's like, well, maybe up here because this is where they do it all the time. No, they were washing here. And I said, what are you doing? He says, we're going to take blood gases. I said, okay, from there? I said, those veins are pretty small. He goes, no, we have to do it from the artery. And you know how you feel the pulse? People touch the, the wrist to touch the, the, the pulse in your hand. That, that's how far down it is. And so she sits there and they pull out this huge, it seemed like four foot long, as big as a telephone post needle. And she washes me and she begins to stick me immediately as it touched my skin and went beyond my skin. The pain was unbearable. I had never, over five years now of testing and going through all these nuclear things and being stuck and pushed around and pulled and x-rayed and whatever you want. I had never gone through that. It even makes me cry now. It hurts so bad. And my cousin was there. And my legs stretched. Oh, my God. I said, hurry. He goes, don't move. Don't move. And the pain was so bad that they tried and she was rolling around trying to find it. And the pain, I promise you, I don't know that I've ever fainted in my life, but I was out. So much that my cousin looked at me. He says, he started crying. He said, I got to go. I said, yeah, go ahead and go. And they pull out and they try the other arm because they couldn't get it. And again, the same searing pain. It was horrible. Believe me, it was horrible. If they ever tell you blood gases, we will pray for you. And she couldn't do it either. And finally they called another person. Another, I said, get a specialist. I'm a two strikes and you're out guy. I said, I'm sorry, man. And the poor nurse turns around. He calls his office, wherever the station is. He said, I can't do this, man. I'm hurting this guy. They send somebody. So they sent a, a person from the OR room. And she came and she goes, hi, how are you? And I was pale. I was like breathing heavy. I was sweating. It hurt so bad. My hands were limp. I couldn't move my wrist anymore. It hurt me so bad. And she goes, we're going to try it one more time and we'll get it. I said, please be quick. And she does it. And thank God that this woman knew exactly where it was. And she drew it. And though it hurt immensely still, it was shorter lasting. She drew my blood. And I, was, I went out and they took me out to the to the waiting room with my cousin and I couldn't move my hands for two days. They were like this. Why am I saying that? So that you could feel sorry for me. Keep your sorry. When I heard the testimony of that man on television, it made me remember. I said, that was a needle. That was a little needle. 
that they stuck in me and it hurt so bad. Think of Jesus. They put nails in his wrist. 2,000 years ago, seven days from now, they put nails in the wrist of your Savior. And the Bible says that not like me, but like a silent lamb, he went to the slaughter. <sighs> like a silent lamb, he went to the slaughter for you. <sighs> Calvary. That's what the triumphal entry was all about. It's all about getting to Calvary. For you. I cannot imagine, or maybe I can. I can't imagine the pain of my master. The pain of my savior, the lover of my soul. Without regard, no topical anesthesia, nothing to help, nothing to comfort him. It's okay, we're going to be quick. Don't worry, it'll be all right, it'll be quick. They're small nails. It's this, we're going to do the best, we're going to go this. No, no, no. They meant to do what they wanted to do. And still, like a silent lamb. He thought of you. When we sang, How great is our God. Is He not great? Are you not in awe anymore this morning? The triumph about this week 2,000 years ago was a triumph for us because he was already God. He was already King of kings and Lord of lords. He was already the creator of all things. He was already the ruler of all things, spirit world and material world. The triumphal entry was for you and I. This proves how much He loves you. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. Join us next time for another uplifting message. If you'd like to support this ministry and the reaching out of others, you have the opportunity to give at rockofagesaog.org give.